that's the truth. It is so good to be here with you. Lord, we love you. We offer our songs to you this morning. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Oh, that was fun, wasn't it? Woo-hoo. Worship should be fun. Let me, um, I think I'm going to need a table. So let me grab this for just a second. Uh, all right. So today, kids, um, the table's not the prop, don't worry. Um, today we're, we're talking about this word community, right? And community, you may, you may understand that, you may not quite understand it, but community is like a group, okay? Like your family, like your friends, like your church, like your schoolmates, your playmates, whatever that is, right? That's community. And the importance and the power of community. Am I doing this? Are you doing this? All right, well, let's go. I didn't know if you were doing it. You told me your kids vetoed you. Well, they're so, always nervous whenever I'm speaking in front of anybody. <laughs> well, they, they can't hear you on camera anyway because I didn't give you a mic. So, um, so, all right, so here we go. I didn't know if we were going to need this or not, but this was John's idea. This is John Burkett, my friend. And speaking of community, right? So everybody say hi to John, right? So, okay, so... This, this is the epitome of community, okay? John and his wife Sarah and Angie and I were out at dinner the other night, and I was still trying to figure out what I was going to talk to the kids about. I had the sermon written. I had the sermon written two weeks ago. I mean, this one I'm pretty excited about. But I couldn't quite figure it out. And I asked both of them. And then last night, John texts me with this wonderful idea. Okay, so here we have a puzzle, right? How many of you put a puzzle together before? Now, my sister is a puzzle expert. She puts together like 20,000-piece puzzles of clear blue sky. I mean, there's nothing. Like, when nobody knows how to do this, and she's just at it, you know, just go. I mean, she was putting together one so tough the other day. We were celebrating her birthday. We weren't allowed to leave unless we put together five pieces before we left, just to kind of help with the community effort, okay? So community is like a puzzle. Okay, so if we take these puzzle pieces out, we already know what the puzzle is, don't we? What is it? It's train, thank you, that's right. Now, if you just happen to find one of these pieces out there somewhere all by itself, you may look at that and go, what is that? I'm not quite sure. It's a good piece, right? And and it looks nice, and it's made well, and it's got a little handle on it and the whole thing, right? But without the whole picture, you don't see what it truly is, right? And the same thing is true in community with God. By yourself, you're a wonderful thing. You are God's creation. But when you're in community with other believers, then we get to start to see the picture. Now watch me not be able to put this together, all right? We get to see... Yeah, I might, John. Um, so, are they? And I'm doing it upside down. So, okay. So, once you're in community, you get to see the whole picture of what God has planned. Okay? Isn't that a great analogy? All right. So, you want to do the last one? Oh, I get to do the last one. All right. Now, watch this. Ready? It makes it sound like a train. All right. Now, my sister wants this puzzle for her birthday. Thank you, John. All right, so you guys can head to class.
Thank you, John. Thank you for community. Thank you for helping me with that. And uh, not making me look bad trying to put a puzzle together. What's it called? The cow catcher. The cow catcher. I did not know that. Thank you, Isaac. That are in the way on the track? Oh. Well, that's all I got. I mean, that's, that's all we got for today. No. <laughs> All right, so good, good morning officially. For those of you that are watching online, good morning as well. I owe you an apology. There, one button can make a very big difference in the world of technology, okay? One button. We have a button that powers certain cables on our streaming computer. Last week, the button that powers the sound coming from the soundboard, my mic, the mic of the worship team, all of that, the instruments, everything, was off. So when I got home to look at the video, okay, which I always do, it looked like a silent movie, but it wasn't, I mean, there were no captions, there was no, you know, nobody hanging off of a cow catcher, nothing. I mean, you know, it was just that kind of thing. So I thought, all right, well, I'm just going to have to get rid of it. So my apologies, but I'll try to kind of get you up to speed as we go this week. Um, last week, what we did was we started a new sermon series in the Gospel of Mark called The Way. And today, we're going to be continuing in that. Well, if I can get it to go, maybe. There we go. Okay. Now, before I do, I would like to start just by praying. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, you know, I've shared the story with you before that um, a, a retired pastor, former pastor of mine, who I consider a friend and a mentor, um, he's the one that gave me initially the advice to start in Mark, Right. Well, he's having surgery today. I just found out this morning. Um, he had a hip replacement years ago. It came out of joint yesterday, which is extremely painful. It's the second time it's happened. So they're actually doing surgery today. He's in the hospital. So I just want to be uh, keep Brad Brinson in your prayers. Um, uh, just be praying for him and all that. Um, and so his thoughts, uh, my thoughts are with him. Last week was Megan Hamby's birthday, and she thought by not telling me that I wouldn't say anything online, but I did find out. So uh, happy belated birthday to Megan. And I, I would remember that this morning because one of my uh, dear friends um, who's up in Cleveland, today's his birthday, and I texted him this morning and got the, and then I thought, oh yeah, I missed Megan's last week. I gotta, I gotta say something about that. So anyway, uh, on to the sermon. If you were here last week, you'll remember that what we discussed was the background of the gospel of Mark, that, that scholars believe it was written for Roman Christians, and how Mark sort of introduces us briefly to John the Baptist, and then he shared the moment of Jesus' baptism and the theme of repentance, what John was preaching, and then what Jesus in turn began preaching, this idea of repentance, a change of mind and a change of heart. And we have to change our thinking, which helps us to soften our hearts, to change. And, and that's where repentance actually comes from and how we can then be used by God to further God's kingdom. And we're still in Mark chapter 1 this week, so let me pray for us as we get started. Father, we, just, we come to you now expectant to hear from you. Um, I confess that as I was writing this and you were talking to me, I got more and more excited because these passages we're covering today are familiar to those of us who know the Bible. 
but your words are new and they speak to us differently every time so lord speak to us today help us to hear your word in a new way help us to carry your truth in our hearts lord we lift uh prayers up for uh brad as he's having surgery today um i know that he is in your hands and so i just pray for quick healing i pray for his wife beth for his community that are surrounding him and praying for him and we just ask all this in jesus name amen so we're going to begin uh in mark chapter one we're still in mark chapter one we're going to begin we're going to begin that's tough to get out at the end of mark one in verse 40 and we begin here it says and a leper came to him imploring him and kneeling said to him if you will you can make me clean moved with pity he stretched out his hand and he touched him and he said to him i will be clean and immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean and jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him see that you say nothing to anyone but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what moses commanded for a proof to them but he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter now if if you have if you're a fan of the chosen if you've seen the chosen you've seen this um portrayed this moment uh in the way that they do it and uh with their artistic license but it's it's a beautiful moment uh there where where jesus heals this man but to fully understand appreciate this simple account of a healing better we have to understand what it was like to be a leper during this time and in this culture in the old testament jewish rules about leprosy were made very clear in leviticus 13 it says the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out unclean unclean he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease he is unclean he shall live alone his dwelling shall be outside the camp the old testament has several accounts in it of god actually afflicting people with leprosy as punishment we see that in numbers 12 and second kings 5 and second chronicles 26 to name a few and so people tended to interpret leprosy as a punishment for sin because of this leprosy has multiple dimensions or had multiple dimensions in this culture it wasn't just a medical condition it was also religious it was social it was financial the afflicted person was considered ritually unclean they couldn't participate in any form of worship within their community they were required to live alone and to maintain a distance of 50 paces from other people think of how isolating that was 
Looking back at, at 2020, you know, when we were all bouncing off the walls uh, after just a week or two of being quarantined, and, and most of us weren't even alone. We were just trapped in the house with our family, and that was bad enough, right? I mean, it was just, just the idea that you couldn't go anywhere else. You couldn't see anyone else except on a screen, right? That was tough. But imagine being forced away from others but you're also allowed to stay within visual distance so you can see them living their lives. You can see them worshiping. You can see them being social with each other. You can see them living the stuff of life without you. If the leper touched another person or was touched by them, the other person was considered diseased and ritually unclean until examined by a priest and pronounced Clean. In other words, both the, the medical disease and the ritual impurity were communicable. The afflicted person was unable to work. Nobody was going to hire them, that's for sure. So they were reduced to begging. So there was a terrible financial toll as well. And think about this. If the leper was the patriarch of the family then it's likely that the family was also reduced to begging. And the term leprosy in the Bible actually can cover many physical ailments. And dealing with that alone would be terrible. Those of us that have dealt with you know, any sort of physical ailment, we understand what that's like. But these other consequences added just this crushing weight to an already awful situation. And Leviticus 13 through 14, it prescribes in great detail to the, to the Jewish people how leprosy was to be diagnosed, and it made the priest responsible for examining people with any skin condition to determine whether they had leprosy. The priest was also responsible for assessing whether a leper was cured of the disease. So if so, Leviticus specified then a ritual to restore that person to a clean state so they could return to society and everything could be given back to them. This, this leper comes to Jesus begging on his knees. And it's clear that he breaks the 50 paces rule, doesn't he? Because he's supposed to maintain 50 paces, but Jesus reaches out and touches him. And the leper says, if you will, you can it's interesting, the, the word that they used here, it, it means you have the power to make me clean. Another form of the word used for you can is, is the word dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite from. You have the power. So the leper has obviously heard the news about Jesus, about Jesus healing other people, and he's acknowledging the power that Jesus has, but he's, he's uncertain whether Jesus will actually heal him. You see, if, if leprosy is God's judgment for sin, then maybe Jesus is going to require him to serve his full sentence. It's interesting to note here that the leper never asks to be healed. If you go back, I mean, I've read this account many times. It never occurred to me before, but the leper never says, heal me. He wants to be made clean. 
It's spiritual and social. There is in this story actually no reference to healing. But there are four references to cleansing. See, this man is not asking for the kind of cleanliness that we get from a nice hot shower, right? He's talking about a spiritual cleanliness. He's talking about holiness. The Jewish people of his day equated cleanliness with holiness. If you were unclean, you were unholy. In fact, you were unclean because you were unholy. That's why Jewish law prescribed that a priest should determine whether a person had leprosy, not a physician. I don't know about you, but sometimes I tend to forget that they had physicians. You know, it wasn't that uh, tribal or that, you know, unsophisticated. They actually had physicians. We know that Luke was a physician. But it's not the physician who makes that determination. It's the priest. A leprous body was thought to be the sign of a leprous soul. So the priest was to examine a person's skin to determine the condition of their soul. Uncleanliness was thought to be contagious. So a leper was required to live in isolation outside of the community and cry out, unclean, unclean, when anyone approached, right? However, one cannot be made clean without also being made disease-free, right? So this man is asking to be fully restored to normal life in all dimensions. That's his, his plea to rather than healing. And it suggests that he values the restoration of his spiritual status. He, he longs for community, even above physical healing. It also acknowledges his faith that Jesus works by God's power. Only God can heal a leper. And only the priest, God's appointed representative, can pronounce a leper clean. Jesus is, is moved to pity. When, when you reflect on, on what we know now, you can see more like Jesus. That the pity wasn't just for this, his physical state, his physical condition. The pity also extended this, because this man is begging to be allowed into his community, back into his community, not just with his family and his neighbors, but also the community of worship. So my question is, who are today's lepers? Who are we prone to cast out, keep at 50 paces, not invite in because it's easier to pretend maybe that they're not there or that they wouldn't fit? Who are today's lepers? Author and pastor Erwin McManus was speaking at a youth convention in Florida and he brought his family along for a working vacation and one morning, Erwin and his 10-year-old son, Aaron, walked down to the beach. Although several hundred students were there, most seemed unaware of the physically disabled man who was awkwardly making his way out of the ocean water. 
The man was a, a double amputee with specialized crutches, and as he attempted to navigate his way back up to the hotel, he fell. And he pulled himself up again, only to fall a second time. Irwin, pretending not to notice, directed Aaron in the opposite direction. He was fairly certain that his son, like most of the people on the beach, had not noticed the man. But Irwin's son surprised him by saying, I have to go help that man. McManus writes, his words pierced through me, and I stood there paralyzed in my hypocrisy. It was clear that this was Aaron's moment, and I had missed mine. His compassion moved him to heroism. While Aaron seized his divine moment, I was stuck in a moment I couldn't get out of. So Aaron went down to help the man, but was unable to lift him. And several people from the crowd came and worked as a team to get the man up and to the hotel deck. Aaron walked back up to his father with tears in his eyes, and he said, I couldn't help him. I wasn't strong enough. McManus writes, he couldn't see that no one would have helped that man if he hadn't taken the initiative. See, once that boy saw with the compassionate eyes of Jesus, he acted. And soon the community formed around him, and together they did something good, something that he could have never done alone. That's our big point today. Community is essential for life. It's essential. So we're going to continue now in Mark chapter 2 it says this very familiar tale of course and when he returned to Capernaum he being Jesus after some days it was reported that he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no more room not even at the door and he was preaching the word to them and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men and when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned with them, within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, and he immediately picked up his bed, and he went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Here's the big takeaway on this. Here's the connection between what we just read and what we covered just a few minutes ago, okay? 
It says when Jesus saw their faith, the faith of the community. The truth is that man could have never gotten in front of Jesus without his community of friends. He couldn't have. It was their faith, their passion, their willingness to literally tear the roof off of the house and lower their friend down that led to Jesus forgiving this man's sins and healing him. You know, Jesus gets heat here for forgiving sins, you know, because only God can do that, right? And even the prophets in the Old Testament, being God's representatives, being the, the, the voice of God, could only petition God to forgive sins. They couldn't do it, but Jesus forgives. And this causes a stir. So he asks this question, this, this wonderful rhetorical question, which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven? Or rise up and take your bed and walk? Now, this may seem to us like kind of a dumb question to ask, right? But the truth is this. We know that Jesus is capable of both. Because we know he's going to do it, right? But think about this. Jesus could very easily just look at that man and say, your sins are forgiven. And there's no way that anyone could confirm or deny if they were. They couldn't, right? It's invisible to the naked eye. On the other hand, to, say, to just say, instead of the forgiving sins thing, rise, get up, and walk, well, that's where the rubber hits the road. Because if the man doesn't get up and walk, then Jesus is going to be proven to be fake. So for Jesus, he offers the invisible healing first. Your sins are forgiven. Then the visible, so that the spectators will believe not only what they could see, but what they couldn't see. Again, Jesus' ministry is more concerned with the invisible, our eternal salvation, not our immediate needs here on earth. Yes, those are important. Yes, we should pray for those things, for for sickness and for hunger and for people who are suffering, absolutely. But Jesus came that we might be freed from our sin so that we can live in community because that's how we're made to live. You know, that's why we have small groups. That's why we have small groups here. We, like many churches, we create small groups because they foster discipleship and prayer and connection and accountability. Trust me, if, if you don't show up to our small group, you're going to get a phone call. Hey, you weren't there. What's going on? <laughs> out of love. Not out of guilt. Out of love. But that's how it's going to work, right? And the number of participants in each church community group is usually limited so that there can be deep and long-lasting relationships which are cultivated and mandated. You know, this, the model for this is, is actually found in the book of Acts. When believers met together in homes to eat, they would fellowship, they would take communion together, and they would read the apostles' letters and discuss them, and they would pray, and they would challenge each other to keep faith. And a church community group that functions correctly is, is like a little church within a church. There's usually a leader who facilitates 
the meeting and keeps everyone informed of, you know, whether there's a time change or, or an upcoming event or anything like that. And he or she also stays connected to the local church, to the leadership, and they're accountable for the needs and the spiritual growth of the members of the group. And despite the, the praiseworthy goals of church small groups, there are some things that we need to watch out for as well. See, some community groups have become so popular with members that they sort of just left the local church to become a church unto themselves. These situations rarely turn out well because they've taken themselves out from under the spiritual authority that God gave elders and pastors to govern. So there's the oversight by church leaders is vital to prevent false teaching and misunderstanding, misinterpretation, all of these things. It's, it's within church community group that the one another's of Scripture take place when the Bible tells Christians to bear one another's burdens in Galatians, to pray for one another in James, to accept one another in Romans, to forgive one another in Colossians. It implies that, that we're in close relationship with other Christians. And clearly, in a very large churches, that's a very important thing because the pastor cannot possibly visit every sick person or take a meal to every new member. And regardless of how friendly or outgoing a member may be, he or she cannot personally know an entire crowd especially if they see them only for an hour on Sunday morning. So the pastor and the staff rely on the small group leaders to take care of the members of their group on a deeper level. A community group functions best when it, it's merely an extension of the larger church body. When each group is maybe studying the same thing, then there's cohesion. Okay, When leaders are held to a clearly stated standard of of morality, you know, personal discipleship, then the group tends to follow suit. And, you know, we are so fortunate right now. Some may not think this, but I think this. We are fortunate in our current size that it's impossible to get lost in the sea of strangers in here. You come through that door for the first time, we're going to know it, aren't we? And that's okay. That's a wonderful thing. But real community doesn't happen in the one or two hours that we're together on Sunday morning. Also, you know, I want to stress that the larger groups, like our women's group, which is doing a lot of things, the men's group, have, have gotten together and risked life and limb to do a couple projects or to, you know, just to get together and eat breakfast. And all those things are, are great things. And as we grow, those things will continue. Women's group, men's group, that sort of thing. But the, the bigger the groups get the more likely it is that intimacy will get lost. Because intimacy and trust happens on a smaller level, whether that's one-on-one, -on -one, whether that's two-on-two, -two, you know, whatever that is. The need for friendship is an innate quality in humankind. We were designed that way. It's what the leper was so desperate for when he called out to Jesus, if you will, you could cleanse me. I want to go back. I'm tired of being a spectator in life. 
I want to be a part of it. I miss my friends. I miss my neighbors. I miss my church. If you will, you could cleanse me. And it says Jesus had pity. Of course he had pity. Because there is nothing more essential for life and community. Their faith saved that man who was lowered into that house. It was their faith. The power of community, the power of friendship. You know, it's so built into us and so hardwired into us that it's, we almost forget our need for it, right? But sometimes people who are apart from everybody else, they can get so desperate for friendship and desperate for connection that they'll manufacture something. Of course, I'm thinking of the, the film Castaway. You ever see that film with Tom Hanks? He's stranded alone on an island. And a volleyball becomes his best friend. And there's that moment, spoiler alert, at the end of the film, when he's on that raft and the ball gets away. And he cries. And he wails for his friend who's lost. A volleyball. It's so built into our DNA. The bond is so strong. Our need for companionship, our need for friendship, we were made for community. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me ask the worship team to come up. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this church body. Thank you for your, your message to us, the reminder to us, because it's getting easier and easier to kind of duck away from community, I have to confess, but it's so necessary. And Lord, I, I confess that there are times that the introvert in me just doesn't want community, but I'm always glad I have it, always thankful afterward. So I just pray that you continue to surround all of us with fellow believers, with family, with friends who will drag us, if necessary, kicking and screaming into community. And Lord, I pray for the lepers of this world, of this time, of this culture. Whoever they may be, would you show them to us? Would you put them on our hearts so that we can stop keeping them 50 paces away? Lord, so that we can draw them in, so they can be part of this, all of this, this hope community church. Amen. Amen. What a powerful name. Power like dynamite, right? So this week, be on the lookout for those who are longing for as simple as just sending a text to someone, reaching out to a co-worker, just say, hey, how you doing? That's what we do this week, all right? Let's build community, let's reinforce community, and let's just have a blessed week. Amen? Amen.